Well, uh, it's our last week uh, of the uh, summer series of Remix, and the whole idea of the Remix is basically each uh, staff pastor gets up here, and we all kind of hit whatever random thing is, is on our hearts or minds. And this, uh, this week, I was, had this, this concept in my mind. I couldn't shake it. And so it, it's like this, okay? How saved are you, right? I mean, like, are you saved, okay? And, and if you are saved, how saved are you? How would you even know if you are saved? How would you even know if you are saved? Let it sink in a little bit. Well, I said a prayer one time, or I, um, I go to church sometimes, or sometimes I pick up this really old book and I read it every once in a while, or uh, you know, sometimes I talk to this invisible person who I think I know. Uh, how do you know if you are saved or not? And what are you even saved from? How about, no, we want to open up that one. How do I know if this God saved me even from himself? Oh, man, how do I know? So I think that one of the best ways to go about this is to kind of talk about it this way. What does it look like to be saved? What does a, a saved person look like? How do I know if I'm in the presence of a saved one? Come on, how do you know? How do you know if you are around someone else who is saved? I mean, this person is saved. What do you see when you picture someone who is saved? Come on, in your mind. A suit, maybe? Are they holding a Bible, the person who's saved in your mind? Come on, answer me. Are they holding a beer? <laughs> yeah, amen, brother. Are they wearing a Razorback shirt? Heck no, all right? What does that saved person look like to you? I mean, like, how do you know if you are one of them? If you are in, right? If you made it. Have you guys ever seen an animal that is confused as to what it is before? Have you guys ever seen that? A cat that acts like a dog or a dog that acts like a cat? Yes, you've seen these things, right? How do you know if you're really a saved person or if you're just an unsaved person who thinks they're a saved person? Just because... You walk around, and you clean yourself with your tongue, and you love to play with yarn. It doesn't mean you're a cat. How do we know if we're really saved or not saved? So I had this in my mind this week. I was kind of thinking about this. And, and of course, sometimes, uh, you know, we like to think that this book's going to help us. So I, I started thinking, okay, so what does the Bible say to us about what a saved person looks like? And so it took us to First John. And uh, I know we all had trouble this morning because we didn't bring these. Okay, so when, when the verse came down, you guys were absolutely lost, weren't you? Who was, had no idea what was going on. That's why you got to have the, the old school, right? Come on, people. So we went to 1 John 4. And if you didn't catch it, we read one of the most straightforward, simplistic, but difficult passages in the entire Bible. See, now John, the Apostle John, he doesn't really play with words very much uh, in this entire chapter. He kind of comes right out and says it. Now, here at Grace, we do a lot of, uh, uh, I don't know, we go into the context and we do a lot of studying, we like to break things down. There's not a whole lot to break down in this passage. It's pretty straightforward. It, it, it is a passage in the Bible that you can read just kind of straight on. Here, it is what it means. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing that you need to know because you were, you know, living in the first century. There's nothing hidden in the Greek here. It's pretty straightforward. And so he starts in the first part of chapter 4, and we didn't read this, but I want to go here. In the CEB, 
Uh, verse 1, he says this, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone to the world. Sounds pretty exciting. Test the spirits. Do you know how to test spirits? I was about to say, put your hand down. You didn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> if I came here this morning, the Lord said, test the spirits, and you'd all be like, amen. What? How do we do that? Is there an app for that? I don't know. Here's the app for that. Here you go. Verse 2. This is how you know if a spirit comes from God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come as a human is from God. What in the world kind of a test is that? Every spirit, which by the way, when spirits show up, do you just ask them, hey spirit, has Jesus come in the flesh? Have you tried this before? Okay, we're not that type of church, are we? Okay, all right, I understand. But the test is this. Every spirit, or if you would, I'll translate this for you, every person who's being moved in a way that is willing to confirm that Jesus came in a body, these, these people, you can be sure, are of God. Now, in the Scriptures, when the, when the term of God happens, and it happens a lot in the Scriptures, the, the idea is children, meaning that this person has come out of something that God is doing in the world. This, this person has been born afresh. There's something that is different from them from everyone else in the world. And so everyone who is saved is able to confirm this thing. There's something in them that knows that Jesus came in the flesh. What does that even mean to us? Come on, think about it. What does it even mean to you right now this morning? If I were to ask you, do you believe, Donnie, that Jesus came in the flesh? You'd say, yeah, sure. <laughs> exactly. You'd say, sure, as in whatever. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> How weighty is that? Okay, he came in the flesh. Awesome. You know, he, he didn't come in a, in a, uh, in a clown suit. He, he wasn't kind of uh, floating in a cloud. Okay, he came in the flesh. But here's why it's important. John is about to establish the ultimate test. He's about to lay it out for us what it looks like to be saved. How do I know who is in the family of God and who is out? Now, he's not saying here that anyone who just speaks it, anyone who, just, who says that Jesus came in the flesh is, is saved. No, he's, he's started. He's building a, a, a layered idea. So he's laying the first floor right now. He said, okay, here's the first step. They acknowledge that Jesus came in the flesh, in a body. Now, if you've been at Grace for a while, you've heard me talk about the importance of bodies here at Grace. To be a Christian is to value the human body. Now, in Genesis, it goes all the way back to this concept that for humans, the body is a blessed, holy thing. It's something that God, He appreciates, He values, He sees beauty in the way that we can touch things, the way we can taste things, the way we can see things and smell things. If you did not have a body, how much would you enjoy pizza? Come on. I wouldn't. How about that? Okay, if you did not have ears, how much would you just love Mozart? Everyone's like, I don't really like Mozart. That's okay. Okay, if you did not have a body, what would a hug mean to you? To be a Christian is to affirm that the body is a good thing. Now, hold on for one second. Think back to most of the sermons and teachings you've heard about being a Christian. Have you been taught that the body is a good thing? How about songs that you guys have, 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 
sung before. I'll fly away. How about that? Who sung that? I'll leave this body behind and I'll fly away. Oh, do you hear that? Because we got to leave that body behind because that body is what? That body makes you drink beer. <laughs> makes you want to kiss people. The body is that bad thing that, that causes all of the no-nos of life. But there's something that John is saying here. No, no, no. Foundationally, we have to value the body. And here's why. He moves on and he begins to talk about the next layer of testing. Okay, so I know that someone who is truly saved, they value the body. Now, why do we value the body? And he moves on and he begins to talk about this idea of love. He begins to talk about anyone who has God in them has the love of God in them. Anyone who does not have the love of God is not of who? God. And so he makes a second layer. So the first thing is they value the body. The second thing is they show, meaning you can see it. These people have love in them. But it's not like a love just for the stars. It's not just a love for food or even a love for the Bible. What type of love is John beginning to describe? Come on, just guess it. A love for what? Oh, people. A love for people. Now, wouldn't it be so much easier if, if a saved person had a love for the Bible? It's a lot more simple. Oh, you disagree? Is it easier to love people or is it easier to love a book? Come on, be honest. You're like, I don't like reading. That's That's okay. But the idea of a book, how about this? You don't even have to read the book to say you love it. How about that? Who knows the Constitution by heart? Oh, but who says that they love it? One person. Okay, you guys are terrible Christians and Americans, right? Okay, I understand. That's okay. You're kind of hurting my sermon here, okay? I'm trying to build. So someone who's saved looks like this. They value the body. And there is a love that is visible in them. If the love of God is not in them, I know that God is not in them. These people are not born of God if the love of God is not in them. Here's the part I love the best. He doesn't stop there. Have you ever heard of people who disagree on what it looks like to love people? Have you ever been in a relationship with someone who says, I'm doing this because I love you? And you go, I don't want that kind of love. Come on, be honest. Yes. Okay. No, no, no. That's not what love is. Okay. Um, if you have children, if you have had children, or if you have ever seen children, children love to manipulate. Yes? Okay. My oldest is amazing. I love him. He is a gift from God, but he's a lot like me. He's able to use words in very tricky ways. <laughs> They're playing video games. He grabs the control from his brother. He's like, stop! He starts to kick him, and he's changing his team. And, of course, Liam's going, give me the controller, Dad! And I come in, and, of course, I hear Jude, like, hitting him, and, like, he got the controller or whatever. I say, Jude, what are you doing? I'm helping Liam. Dad, he needs my help. I care about Liam. 
You think I'm kidding? These exact words. If Liam doesn't have a better team, he will lose. Truthfully, Liam is beating him. That's what's happening. <laughs> They're playing a baseball game, and Judas figured out that there are double-A teams on this game. So he can have a major league team, and he can go get this junkie team from Springdale, and he can give it to Liam. Yeah, the last game of the season, they just got destroyed. It's awful. Okay, so, so, so he's trying to give Liam the naturals, and he's playing with the Yankees. Do you, you see what's happening? But he's telling me, and he's telling Liam, I'm just trying to help. I, I care about Liam. I love him. So if all that John said was that, you know, we all value the body, amen, and we all have a love, we all love people, we love people, there's still a lot of gray area. It's going to look different, isn't it? So he adds something else. He says this, and here's how we know what love is, meaning here's what the God love looks like. The Father sent His Son for all, meaning this. I'll translate. We value the body. We love people, and that love looks like sacrificial love. When Jesus came, He didn't just pass out hugs. He didn't just give out free food. He didn't even pass out Bibles. How silly was Jesus? He should have known everyone needs a Bible to follow him. Amen? Or a track at least, right? But he doesn't. The foundation that is laid, sacrificial love towards who? Towards people. Now this is a definition that should scare every one of you. Because if I ask you, do you know if you are saved this morning? Whatever it is that you are afraid of, that you might need to be saved from, the question is, how do you know if you are saved? And he's writing to people who are afraid. They are afraid. They've been told that Jesus is going to return at any moment they're watching disciples be, be, be kidnapped, be, be, be imprisoned and tortured. They are fearful. How do I know that when Jesus comes back in the morning that I'm going to get to go with Him? And He's giving them a very clear description. Look in the mirror. You know you are saved if you live a life of sacrificial love for people around you. Just sit with that for a second. I love the answers I was taught in other churches much better. Well, you know that you're saved, Devin, if you prayed for Jesus to come live in your heart. In your heart. If he's in there sleeping right now, you know that, you know, he doesn't want to leave that small Jesus behind. He's going to take you with him. Or, Devin, you know you're saved because you read the Bible a lot. Or you know that you're saved, Devin, because you vote for Republicans. Devin, you think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding in the least. You know that you're saved because you speak in tongues, Devin. I've been told that too, by the way. Everyone's like, what's speaking tongues? Don't worry about it. Or you know that you're going to heaven because you are sinless. But I think that this test might even be scarier than all of those. 
John lays it out pretty clear. He says this, to, you know that you are saved if you value the body, which means this, I value the way I treat people that are in the bodies. If I don't value your body, that sounds really weird, okay? Let's just, let's all understand the context here, okay? Let's understand the context. If all I care about is your spirit, then I can justify a lot of awful treatment of you, of your emotions, of your body, of your needs. I can ignore if you're hungry. I can ignore if you're poor. I can ignore if you're sick because all that I care about is your spirit flying away to a place with clouds and really bright sunlight. Gold streets, too. Forgot about that. Because gold streets are very important when you don't have a body. It's very important to walk on gold streets when you have no feet. Amen? Come on, stay with me now. But if my love has to be grounded, I can't just say, oh, brother, I love you. But it's okay if I know that you can't pay your rent. If I can say, oh, sister, I, you know, I love you so much, but I don't really care if your child is sick or not. I don't really care if you had a, you know, had a miscarriage. All I care about is that when you die, you're going to heaven, sweetie. If I'm able to say I love you, but I don't care if you are being mistreated in any way, shape, or form, then there's no way to really test my love for you. But guess what? If my love has to be tested by how I take care of your physical needs, if you're hungry, if you're clothed, if you have a home, if your children are healthy, if my test and my love is tested now, there's, there's a way to tell if I love you or not. Am I actually going to do anything for you? Now I can be tested in that. There are 4,400 pastors who are signing this uh, petition, uh, petition this, this week. Basically, it's a, it's a document that says that, that social justice, which is the movement, to try to take care of the social needs, to make sure that there's equality for all of our physical needs. They're signing a petition that says that they do not believe this has anything to do with the gospel of Christ, and that they will not preach according to it. In fact, they will preach against it, and that they will not have anything to do with this movement. That the gospel of Jesus has nothing to do with the physical needs of the people on this planet. It is a spiritual good news. Now in this, I'm not sure how much these guys read John. I definitely don't think they read the Gospels very much. But there's something which is challenging us here. If my love for you has no test now, if my love for you can be ambiguous, it's, I, I love you so much, but I don't have to show it in any way, shape, or form that can be tested or tried or questioned. And by the way, the ultimate test of all of our loves is sacrificial, meaning is the way that I love you. Am I loving you? Am I taking care of you because I get something out of it? To do something sacrificially means I'm putting my own needs down to take care of you. Now, in the Scriptures, there is a, a parallel that goes on. There's, there's a connection. Now, Jesus is called the, the groom, and the church is called the what? 
the bride. So men, I want you to picture yourself in a gown holding flowers and we're coming up. I always had an issue with that. Okay, no, okay, you're fine. That's okay. That's fine. And the idea is that the salvation or our connection to God, the closest thing that we can understand it as is marriage. Is that we are, being, we are pledging faithfulness to Jesus. That we are going to, to be faithful. So to confess that Jesus is Lord is to, is to make a commitment to be faithful, to be connected, to not break our connection to Jesus. And John tells us the test of our connection to Jesus is our commitment to each other. If I love Jesus, I know that I love Jesus because of the way that I love who? Okay, not you, apparently. The way I love other people. So we have symbols of these things. And so a symbol that a lot of you have in this room of your commitment to faithfulness is a ring, right? And it's round in a circle because what? It never ends. It's eternal. It's beautiful, isn't it? We have a, my love for you, Nisa, it's, it's short, but it, it, it never ends. It just goes in a cycle. Round and round and round. It's kind of like a hamster wheel. That's, that's our marriage, right? I have a trouble. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Don't have me do your wedding, okay? I'm just saying. Uh, and so in this, this concept, right, we talk about faithfulness. Have you stayed faithful to your spouse? And so in marriages, the testing of our love often is, has my commitment to a person, has my love for this person been broken? And the way that my love for someone is broken is that something comes along and is strong enough to break the commitment which I made to this person. Whether financial hardships come along and it breaks my commitment to Nisa, or sickness breaks my commitment, or temptation comes and it breaks my commitment. I find something better and it breaks my commitment. Whoa, some confidence there. I like that. Ain't going to happen. I'm not sure if she's confident in herself or not confident in me finding anything better. That's okay. We've been married enough to know. She's like, I'm not worried. You come right back. Okay. And so to be faithful, to be saved, okay, to, and again, the word salvation, to stay in this relationship, to be on the inside of it. To be saved in your marriage is to stay faithful, to not let anything break your bond. My love will be consistent and will not be broken. Now, if my faithfulness to Jesus, my, my pledge of commitment and faithfulness to Jesus, if it is tested by the way I love you, what, what is able to break my love for you? So here's a question this morning I want to ask you guys. If our faithfulness to God, if our salvation is tested by how we love other people, how saved are you? How saved are you? What can your love for Christ overcome? Or even better, where does your love for Christ end? 
Now in my office, we do counseling for marriage all the time. There's always a point, a breaking point. Yes, I love them, but this was too much. This was too far. Now, be careful. I'm not talking about uh, relationships where there's abuse. We're not talking about staying in that. But there are times where there are other things which should not break our faithfulness, and they do. So the question for you is this. What is able to break your love for Jesus? And we know that your love for Jesus, your salvation is broken the moment you are unwilling to walk in love towards someone else. So I have tests for you this morning. Who loves tests? Anyone else? It's a pop quiz. You guys ready? Here's the first image. Now, would this break your faithfulness to Jesus? I think it would work so much better if our team was winning right now. I just don't think it matters right now. Anyways, imagine if we were 10-0, the Razorbacks. If your spouse wanted to, to be a, an OU fan, would it break it? Could you hang out with that guy who loves Missouri? <laughs> Which pretty much any other day I could say that, but right now, honestly, I'm sorry. <laughs> we have no right to make fun, at least not this year. If you are interacting with people on Facebook and they start posting things about OU, do you instantly go, don't love you? Sad face. Or angry face, whatever. All right, next test. How about this one? So next test. How about this? If I said, okay, if if the answer to who is a great president in this picture, emotionally, If someone said, I love Barack Obama, the best president we've ever had, how would that affect you, your ability to love someone? Now, again, in this room, because I've spent 30 minutes kind of softening you up, we're all going to laugh about it. But I watch you on Facebook. I see what you post. I'm there, people. You shouldn't have friended me. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Or you... Or for some of you, because we're an awesome church and we are extremely diverse, how would, you, how would it affect you if someone said, I think Donald Trump is the most intelligent, self-controlled, wise, adult president we have ever had in the history of this country? I know you would, and I love you, because I love Jesus. I, no. I Oh, yeah, I, th- I think we need to move on. We need to move on. That, that, that slide. How about this? How about this? How about if I open this book up and we start to read it differently? And someone says, I believe the earth was created in six days. On the seventh day, God was very tired. He napped on the couch. And then someone else said, I don't believe that. I believe it took over eight billion years for this to be created. I believe God did it but I don't believe it the way you think. Is that enough to break your love for Jesus? Now again, is it going to cause you to stop operating in sacrificial, meaning putting your own needs down to love this person? Are you going to in any way, shape, or form begin to create distance and separation from someone if that is how they interpret this book? Is this book enough to break your love for Jesus? Now, because of the, the time and history that, we, that you've been born, because of the part of the world that you've grown up in, you believe that there are other sacred texts 
that have caused all sorts of bloodshed. And you're right, they have. But did you know there's no other sacred book in the history of humankind which is responsible for more bloodshed than this book right here? Because of disagreements over this book right here. Is this book enough to make you lose your salvation? To where you are willing to stop loving in such a sacrificial way that you're going to compromise your faithfulness to Jesus. Or something more uh, modern. I know the Bible's not very modern. How about something more modern? Let's go to this next one. How about this one? Boy, I wanted to wear my Nikes so bad this morning just to test you. I want to see who would walk out this morning if I wore Nikes. I know someone would. Because Nike shoes are enough to make someone break their faithfulness to Jesus. Well, I, it's so quiet. I heard, I heard that door creaking open. Did you guys hear that? <laughs> I want you to understand something. Most of us have been taught a faith that can hide inside of our closet. A faith that we can take to Sunday mornings. A faith that we can keep out of business. We can keep it out of our marriages. We can keep it out of uh, our neighborhoods and out of our family. But I want you to understand this. That is not Christianity. The Jews knew. The Jews had the same tenet that we have. To love the, the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was very skillful. There are things that we left behind from Judaism, but some things we did not. And one of the tenets which is carried forward into this faith is this one. The Jews called it the... Uh, Shema. This is the heart of following Jesus. John says this, we know what love is because God sent His Son to die for us, to sacrifice for us. This is what it looks like to be saved, to be in God, is to love like God loves, sacrificially. And by the way, he says, He sent His Son to die for all. He didn't send His Son to die for those who are burning their Nikes or for those who love to keep their Nikes. Didn't say He came to die for those who believe this sacred text or that sacred text or these who came to who believe that immigrants should be allowed or immigrants shouldn't. And by the way, the call to salvation is the same. We are called to love like this. So what does that mean? It means our love is not limited to the people who we agree with on the Bible, people we agree with on politics, the people that we agree with on football. Lord have mercy. If you want to know what salvation looks like, John will tell you exactly what it is. Anyone who has the love of God in them, the love of God that looks like sacrificial love, anyone who has that love in them is of God. Anyone who does not have that love in them is not of God. And people say, I, I don't preach hard sermons. There you go. There it is. If you want to know how saved you are this morning, here's the test. Does your love look like this? 
Would you guys stand with me this morning? We're going to end this morning with the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And I, as I've told you many times, I, I know that we all come from different church traditions, and this might not be something that you grew up doing, but it's something that the church has done for over 2,000 years. And the, the reason that we have to be united over an action, we have to be united over a practice, over something we do, it's because there's no way that all of us in this room are going to be able to be united over what we think. The way you interpret this. Who you vote for. Your politics. Your, your football team. If, if we had to be united by being alike, there's no hope for us. We are all completely different. But we don't unite over those things. We unite over our likeness in one category. Our submission, our commitment, our faithfulness to Jesus. And the test of that faithfulness, of my love for Jesus, is always the same. How well I'm able to let that love extend to the people around me. So the reason that we come forward and we take bread and juice is because, I don't know if you've ever tried this or not, but to share a meal with someone you hate is difficult. The reason that they tell you at Thanksgiving they're not talking about religion or politics, it's hard to get through a meal when, you're, when you disagree with someone. But this is the very thing we do on a Sunday morning. We come to the table. We make connection with people who we disagree with, people who we are different than. And we say the one thing which is strong enough to join us together, no matter how different we are, is Jesus. So, Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you prepare our hearts and minds. If there are things, if there are other loves, other ideas, other things that we've worshipped or care about that are powerful enough to separate us from the people in this room, that are powerful enough to get us to stop living in sacrificial love. We ask this morning you would help us to break those chains. We pray that our, our commitment, that our love, our faithfulness to Jesus would be stronger than our faithfulness to any idea, any, any business, any politics, any other thing that would try to break our commitment to love our neighbor, to love our brother and sister in Christ.